How about that? Aha, there we go. Yes, I know you were expecting Adam. And I know you confuse me as Adam. It, it, can, be, it can be confusing. I mean, we're both handsome. So, I mean, it can, and we're both bald. So, see, we, we got that in common. Adam's got the flu. What? You're obviously the better looking. I'm obviously the better looking one. Yes, I appreciate that. that that's, at least we got one delusional person in here. Uh, when uh, Adam is not here because Adam came down with the flu Friday. Friday, me and my wife were having a conversation. I was very tired. I said, I'm a 96-year-old man, and I was, okay, I just felt 96, okay, that's, I felt 96, like a 96-year-old man, I was very tired, and I was literally what I, what I call a feeble tired. Y'all ever been feeble tired? Where you're just kind of sitting still, and you, you, you kind of shake sometimes, you know? I was that tired, I really was tired, and Carol had said, okay, look, here's the way it's going to be, I know this will kill you, but you're not going to the party tonight. There was an adult Halloween party where we got to dress up and be somebody else, and that's one of my favorite things to do. She was saying, you're not going. You're just too tired. She had finally convinced me that I was going to miss the party, which is a stab in the heart for me. I'm a party person. But she convinced me, and I'm sitting there in the chair, disappointed, and the phone rings. And it's Adam announcing the good news that he can't be here today because he's come down with the flu and I'm going to have to preach in his place. So I just looked up and said, okay, that's funny. <laughs> so then I started working on the sermon. But as I started working on it, I tell you all that, not to, not to make you feel sorry for me, but I started working on it. And as I began to work on it, I was really, I was really moved and glad that this had happened because of the message that, was, that he wanted delivered today. It, it's a powerful lesson. It's the kind of lesson that needs to come from leadership. And Adam is leadership, and I'm leadership. And it, and it, it was just a message that I felt privileged to be able to deliver. Um, I think the first thing we ought to do, back there on those cameras, if everybody could turn back and look at that camera, let's say hello to Adam because I know he's homesick and I know he's watching. We love you, Adam. Thank you for watching us. Don't critique me too harshly. It's your fault. I didn't get as well prepared as normal. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about why we started what we're about. Um, we started because we felt like there was a need in Tulsa. There was a need in Tulsa for a church that was solely focused on reaching out to a lost world. A church that was focused on, on realizing it wasn't about us. It wasn't about us gathering a group of people together and, and entertaining each other and, and trying to just build each other up to the point and kind of closing the doors around us and, and just being a group that could be socially together. It was about that, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a primary focus. That there needed to be a church whose primary focus was to reach other people out there with what we found. We considered ourselves hungry beggars that found food. And we wanted to share it with other people. And so that's who Connect is. That's what we're about. That's why we gather together here is because we want to let people know what we've found and connect them to the life-changing 
Jesus Christ. If you're a guest with us today, you're, you're going to immediately think, oh boy, I showed up on Budget Sunday. Isn't that what always happens when you visit a church? It, I don't know how many of y'all have visited many churches. You visit a church and it's Budget Sunday, so you get to hear all about the budget. Well, guess I got good news for you. It's Budget Sunday. <laughs> and it's going to last about 30 seconds. That's all we do with the budget here. Because it's really pretty simple. If you'll open your, open your bulletin now, the front page, you'll see the budget. Uh, one of the things you should notice on it real quick, we're above budget. This church does good in giving, and it's because he's given so much to us, and we recognize it as a church. Uh, and that's why we are above budget. By the end of the year, we'll be way above budget, which has encouraged us because those of you who have been here know there used to be a wall right there. About two months ago, we tore the wall out and added new chairs, and we're getting ready to Tuesday, actually, to travel down to Gainesville and pick up 50 more chairs because we want to be able to seat 200 people in this auditorium because that's about the size we, we want to try to grow to before we attempt to move into something larger. So all that's happening. We are growing. We're averaging now about 100. We've got, 100, I think, 101 in here today. Uh, we'd had 102, Adam, if you'd have been here. <laughs> We'll count him. He's, on, he's online. That counts, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. I wanted, two weeks ago, we were at 99, and I wanted to count Bailey. I wanted to count Bailey, but I had to be honest and say I couldn't count Bailey. I really wanted to, but I know I should have, and other people told me I should have. I said, yeah, well, then we'll start cheating. Everybody will start bringing it, and then i got to count every one of them. And you're a church of 150. Well. Is that true? Anyway, but today I didn't, I didn't have to count Bailey. We still, we still broke over 100. We're growing, and that's why we need to, to continue to be people that give, give generously. We are going to increase our budget uh, just a little bit. It really won't be very much considering where we'll actually be when, at the end of the year. Uh, we'll be, we're going to increase it to about 2,100 a week instead of 1,400 a week. We've been doing way over. We've been doing about 1,900 a week. So it's not really that much of an increase, but we need that to continue doing things that we're doing, like buying the chairs and the things of outreach that we're going to continue to do into the community. There's your budget talk. That's it. Let's move on to the meat of the sermon. We're in a series called Build. We've been looking at the three bills that were either commanded or sanctioned by God. We look back at those bills to help us in looking forward to what God is going to do here with Connect Church. As Adam has been saying over the past three weeks, these are three elements in every bill that God commanded or sanctioned. And the first one was, if you remember, the build would honor God. You see, God has no desire to have something built just to satisfy somebody's ego or fulfill a human desire. What God wants built is to honor Him. We look at those builds in the Old Testament, the ones that honored God, and when we see that, what we find is that God honored the people because they were honoring Him. We here at Connect, our desire is only to honor God and bring glory to the Father. That's what we're here for. We want Connect to be a place where people find family. We want Connect to be a place where people find healing from their hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions. We want people to be able to help other people that have those same problems. A place where, cycle, where, where cycles of abuse are broken. A 
place where kids who have no parent, or maybe they have abusive parents, can find a family and go on to raise families of their own. And all of that will be to the glory of God. That's our purpose. The second one is to build. The build would require sacrifice. You should remember these. These are what's been going on the past couple of weeks. Okay, sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, really pretty simply, sacrifice is giving something up. In the Old Testament, sacrifice to God was often an animal. You know, none of us really like to talk about sacrifice. We don't like to talk about giving. We don't like to talk about money. I specifically, as a minister of God, don't like to get up in front of people and talk about money. But one of the things Jesus said when he showed up on the scene was, if you never become generous with your money, you will never have any kind of relationship with God that is meaningful. Think about that. He said, either money's going to be your master or God's going to be your master. You get to choose because you can't have both. To me, it should be a pretty simple thing to choose if you're a person that actually reads the Bible. Think it through. Where does all the money come from? It's all his. There's really no money that any one of us have, and, and, I, and I hear it far too often, and I cringe every time I hear it. Well, that's my money. Well, I earn that money. I earn that money. My job pays me that money. I got the... No, that's a fallacy, folks. Don't, that's what the world wants to tell you. They want you working for the man. They want you out there thinking, you know, I've earned this. It's mine. I get to do what I want with it. If you're a Christian, the Scripture tells you that's not true. Nothing you have belongs to you. We focus on money, but it's really everything. There's nothing you have that actually belongs to you. The very breath you take is God giving you to use and giving you to use for His glory. In the Old Testament, he said that even the reason for our tithing was to teach us to put God first. Our tithing is not because God needs the money. That's not why he set up a tithe and a purpose for it to begin with. He set up a tithe to teach us. Not for us to give to him, for us to learn from that, that it is all his. It's really pretty simple. I give this to you, and then I ask you to give part of that to something else. And then I ask you to give the other part to something else. And then I ask you to give the other part to something else. And before you know it, you've given everything away. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Any sacrifice God asks of you, including that, including money, he asks for a reason. So whatever God asks of us to grow and expand Connect Church will require sacrifice. But our sacrifice will always be to honor God. To bring God glory. The third element was the build will bless people. The way we honor God is to bless other people. There are people right here, right now, that will be blessed by other people that haven't even met yet simply because you're choosing to be here and bless other people by what God is doing with this build. Think that through. Just the mere fact that you're here and you're hearing the messages that God bring forth and put forth, 
and learning that it's not about you and learning about nothing you have is yours, that it all belongs to somebody else. If you actually learn that and put it into practice and be a person that lives that way, you're going to be blessing people you haven't even met yet. People that you're going to fall in love with because of their lives and because of what they've been through. Your heart's going to be broken because of something they've gone through. And you're going to go, somebody's going to say, why is your heart broken for that person? Well, maybe I, I got things in common with them. My dad was a drunk that beat the family. I, his dad's a drunk that beat the family, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to find people like you, and then you're going to find people not like you that you're also going to fall in love with, and you're going to be able to share with them what has been shared with you. You're going to want to honor God. This morning, we're adding a fourth element. The build would require godly leadership. For every project God has, he always calls a godly person to lead the process, process, the project. And that's because God knows something we don't know or we don't think about often. He knows that Satan is going to try to corrupt his leaders. Satan never stops working. Satan never stops trying to corrupt and destroy that, that which is out there trying to lead people to God. So he's always going to be working on Leaders that God has called. So God calls godly leaders. We see throughout scriptural, Scripture that leaders have an incredible power. And God knows that leaders can influence to do evil. And he's taught us that in Scripture. If you look at 1 Kings 15, 25 through 26, the Bible records the story of Jeroboam's son. It starts out with Jeroboam's son, Nadab, ruled Israel for two years, short period of time. He committed evil in the eyes of the Eternal One, God, walking the wicked path of his father and causing the Israelites to live sinful lives. Look at that real closely. Who caused them to live sinful lives? What's going on here? Why would the nation of Israel that was devoted to God Follow kings that were living evil. And follow them into doing evil themselves. Of course, the answer is because the king before him, his father, was evil. Following evil. Evil is following evil that's causing evil. So you have a father who is evil, a son who is evil, and the people imitate that which is evil. It's called a cycle. You may think, why does this happen? That just, it's just not logical. It doesn't follow any common sense. But what we know is God puts an incredible power on anybody that leads. Most of you don't know my story, and I won't go into the whole story. We don't have time for it. <laughs> we'd, we'd be here for a long time. They'd be mad at me for preaching too long. But I'm going to give you a little short picture. I was literally scared to death that I would abandon my family by the time my son reached five years old. You'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I was living a good Christian life. or I was living a Christian life. Maybe not as good as it should have been, but I was, I was trying to live a good Christian life. But I literally was scared I was going to abandon my family. There wasn't anything happening that, that would cause it, but I really was scared that that was going to happen. It wasn't logical, but I was afraid it was going to happen. I felt like the world had been lifted off my shoulders when my son turned five. And it's because on my fifth birthday, this drunk man 
who beat the family and then beat me and broke my jaw on my fifth birthday because it was my birthday. That was his happy birthday to me. He said, happy birthday, bang, and broke my jaw. I won't go into all the things that happened later, but he left that day and abandoned his family. Went off to California and raised another family. Never came back. Never saw a dime from him. And you say, well, that's just horrible. Yeah, but here's what's horrible about it. As I begin to live my life from that time forward, you know, I, I would hear things from other family members. If I did anything wrong or anything that they felt, you know, you're just, you're just not quite right. Say, you're just like your dad. <laughs> I was trying real hard not to be like my dad. I was trying everything I knew, but occasionally that would pop up. And yes, it was my own fault. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, and that, and that, so they would throw that accusation. Well, what that was doing was planting a seed in my in my brain <laughs> back here in the back. No matter what, you're just like your dad. You're going to end up doing what he did. So literally, it didn't make any sense. It wasn't logical. Literally, I was scared as we approached my son's fifth birthday that I was going to abandon my family. Didn't. That's the good news. I'm proud to say because of the power of God, I was able to break that cycle, and I've been married now 48 years. With two good, strong, powerful young men that we've raised. Some of you know my oldest. He lives near us here in the Tulsa, not in the Tulsa area, but a little further out. And my youngest, who's a police officer down in St. Pete, Florida. Um, we broke the cycle. You need to hear this. This church is full of cycle breakers. Chances are you're sitting next to somebody right now that is a cycle breaker because that's what we at Connect are about. And how do we do it? We do it by the power of God working through things like Manasseh Ministry. Manasseh Ministries is our healing ministry. It's a ministry where you go into, and one of the first things you do is take a class called uh, Healing as a Choice. And in that class, it kind of, that class kind of brings out what it is we're dealing with, what it is you're dealing with, what in your past that maybe has been buried back in the back of your mind that you don't realize is causing what's causing in you today. And it gets identified. And once it gets identified, there's multiple different classes that can be taken to help you with dealing with all the, the hurts, hang-ups, habits, addictions, whatever it is. Maybe you were sexually abused as a child. Comes out. And there's classes for that. Maybe you're just, you just, it just caused you to be an angry person. Anger management. I mean, there's just class after class after class. And we do that on purpose because that's what we were, are about. We found this, this God-saving, this life-changing Christ who's changed us. And we want, we want to help other people in making that change. We also do it. God also does it. We don't do it. God does it. Help me to remember that. It's <laughs> saying that correctly. God does that through us. And the second thing he does is he's talked us into being a church of small groups. If you, we work through small groups for that. The reason we have small groups is so in those small groups, we can work together with each other and find out what it is. Find out your life and share your life with my life and I share my life with your life. And as we're going through that and doing that in the small group, we begin to identify what's wrong. We begin to identify what's hurting us. And we can say to each other, you know, that's me too. I dealt with that. Here's how I got through that. Or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a part of this church very long, you're going to be asked to join a small group because we're a small group church. 
We're so committed to small groups. If you're in a small group and you, and you get to the point for some reason you're not attending regularly, you reach the point that you're just, you're not there to, for the leaders to help you. You're not there for the other people in your cells to help you. You're not there and some of the other people that's in the cell no, no longer can talk openly because they're afraid because you're not there all the time. You're going to be sat down with that leader and say, you know, this cell might not be for you. Matter of fact, if you can't attend regularly, this cell's not for you. And that's not done to punish the other person. That's done because we are so committed to helping other people that we're not going to let someone else interfere with it that doesn't want to be helped. And that's why we're able to become the kind of church that God wants us to be. A church that's different here in Tulsa. A church that wants to reach out to other people in the community and bring them the life's changing Jesus Christ. You see, that's who Connect is. We exist to connect people to the power of God. We also know that just like leaders can influence to do evil, God knows that leaders can influence to do good. Let's look at the good news of some of that. If you look at Joshua 24, 31, it, it says Israel, the country Israel, served the Lord as long as Joshua lived. They also served him as long as the elders lived. Those elders, those were the elders who lived longer than Joshua did. So the influence that Joshua caused, caused the elders to live and serve God as long as they lived. Why? Why did they stay faithful for so long even after Joshua was gone and dead and gone? Well, it, it's really pretty simple. We know why. It's right there in front of you. Because their leader Joshua was such a good influence and example. You see, we here at Connect are, are committed to not just doing good for ourselves, but to live in such a way as to positive, positively influence others for generations to come. Because godly leadership isn't about a person's position. Godly leadership is about a person's example. And that's both a challenge to, to people, to, to followers here at Connect, and a challenge to the leaders here at Connect. Paul said to the Corinthians when he wrote to them, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example just as I follow Christ. Paul's telling his followers, you got somebody, by implication there, you've got somebody here who's, who's going to walk in the steps of Christ. Follow me as I follow in the, walk in those steps. Now, I assure you, if you were to stop him mid-sentence and say, okay, as you're telling me to follow you as you follow Christ, well, what happens if you're taking a different step than he took? Uh, if you know Paul at all, you know, if you've read anything about Paul's writings, you've read him in him at all and studied him, you know what he'd say to you. Then don't follow me. When I take the wrong step, don't take that step. But as long as I'm following him and taking his step, follow, him and follow me and take the same steps. Because if you're following me, you're following Christ. That's the kind of leaders we want here at Connect. That's the kind of leaders we all try to be here at Connect. He wrote to Timothy and said, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Don't let them look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And if you do, you'll save yourself, which is what we all want to hear. We all want to be about ourselves, right? and your hearers. You'll save yourself and your followers. If you don't save yourself, you're not going to save your followers. 
If you're not stepping on the right steps, they're not going to be stepping on the right steps. Even though he would tell you, don't step on the wrong ones if I step on the wrong ones. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is telling this young preacher he's going to save himself and he's going to save other people by his example. That's what can keep a leader going when he's tired, when he's feeble, when he doesn't know if he can get up and go to the party. That's what can keep a leader going that says, somebody's watching. There's always somebody watching. And not just being a leader, somebody watching you. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. You may think of yourself as insignificant. I know I did for many, many years of my life because of that message that was poured in, into my brain. I thought of myself as insignificant. You may think of yourself that way. No matter how insignificant you think you are, hear this. Somebody's watching you. They're watching what you do. They're watching how you act. They're watching what your example is. What example do you want to leave? Do you want to leave the example that hurts a young child and causes him not to believe in himself for half of his life? Is that the example you want to leave? Or do you want to leave the example that says, follow me as I follow Christ? If that's the example you leave, you'll help save that. If you're a parent, you really ought to think that one through. Because I'm going to tell you, those children are watching. every, Even when you don't think they are. They're watching everything you're doing. Adam, we talked, I talked about him a little bit earlier, our preacher, the one who stands up here every week and delivers these messages, is a great example. He's a great father. He's a great example for his children to follow. He's a great example for us as, as followers of, of leaders in this church to be following. He's a great example. I don't know if you know this about him, but he doesn't earn his living here. He earns his living outside the church. As a matter of fact, nobody here, there's not a leader here, is paid staff. And we hope, we hope to, for the best part, most part, I don't know if I can say this right, we hope to always be that way. In all of our plants that we go to, we don't want our people thinking, like so many preachers that I've heard, so many, so many ministers that I've been around, I've been in churches that had multiple, 10, 15 ministers. I've been in churches that only had one, but I've been in some that had 10, 15 ministers. And I'd hear words come out of some of them's mouth. Words like, man, this is a job. I'm, it's just a job, man. They expect me to work more than 40 hours a week. They ought to pay me extra. Can you imagine that coming out of a minister's mouth? I've heard it multiple times. If that's not the words that should come out of a minister's mouth, because if you're a minister of God, you're supposed to be a person that's called by God not to do a job, but to lead by example. You should be the last one to leave an event. You should be the one that's, that's being the encouragement and the example for everyone else that is there, for everyone to look at and say, that's what I want to be like. Not, is that what you want to be like? Teach people to be like? You work more than 40 hours, you ought to get time and a half. Where'd that money come from? We talk, kind of talked about that earlier, didn't we? I don't care what it says on your paycheck, folks. You need to understand this. It doesn't matter what's at the top of your paycheck. It all comes from God. He owns all of it. There's not a dime you're going to get that didn't come from him to begin with. He just used other people to filter it through. You think you're working for the man. You think you're working for whatever, whoever you could name in here that y'all are employed by. That's not who you're employed by. That's not who you're working for. 
God says, in everything you do, do it to bring glory to him. That includes your job. Are you that kind of example on your job? What kind of example are you on your job? Man, I can't wait to get out of here. Really? That's the example you are on your job. You should be the kind of example on your job that your boss looks at you and goes, man, I need more employees like that. I need more people like that because if they'll work that hard with little incentives that they're getting, imagine what could happen if we had more of them like them. Imagine the influence you could have on them spiritually, scripturally, if you were a different kind of employee. Okay, now I've gone far enough, I'm sure I've lost my place, but we'll find it. <clears throat> Today, let's look at the building of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was the largest sanctioned build ever recorded in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I think it would be hard-pressed to ever find a build in all of history, even current-day build, that would rival in cost what the temple cost in the day it was built. Let me give you some examples. Uh, the story that, that this is all found in is, is in uh, 1 Chronicles 20, chapter 28 and 29, 1 Kings chapter 5 and 8. If you ever want to re read all the stuff I'm about to tell you, it's all in there. But the Bible tells us that Solomon employed 30,000 people to build the temple, and they worked in three shifts of 10,000 at a time. There were a staggering 80,000 people quarrying stones to build the temple. Yet another 70,000 people were employed just to transport the stone from the quarry to the building site. Solomon employed 3,300 supervisors. That's a total of 183,000 people working for seven years to build the temple. And there were also, uh, we also, you also need to consider that there was no heavy construction equipment. This was all done by hand. And you go on to talk about the shift workers that were cutting wood in Lebanon. There were 10,000 men working for 313 days a year because they took Sabbath off. So let's suppose that one man cuts down and prepares only one tree a day. That's 3,000 3,130,000 trees a year for seven years. And it even gets more amazing. If you get four six-by-six six beams 20 foot long from a single cedar tree, the total number of beams laid out would stretch 330,000 miles. That's 14 times around the earth. Think all that through. Seven years of that kind of labor. Seven years of working and there was never any rebellion. Seven years of that kind of labor and there was never a strike. Seven years of that kind of, I don't know, you could almost, you could almost call it punishment. And there was never an uprising, never a stoppage. Never have we got to stop doing this. We got to question our leaders. We got to do something because this just isn't right. How did they do that? Well, godly leadership is the only answer. Judges 5 2 says Israel's leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise God. Leaders led and people followed. That's what happens when leaders lead positively.
That's what happens when leaders lead by positive example. The building that God is doing here at Connect is only going to happen and be successful and grow God's kingdom if godly people follow godly leaders. That's the only way it's going to work. Together, we can create something great for God and bring Him glory, and that's what we're about. Let me give you three reasons why we should gladly follow a leader or leaders who maintain glorifying God as their primary purpose. See, nobody's perfect. But a leader that, that keeps glorifying God as their primary purpose is always going to be giving it all away. You know, we sing a song, giving it away, giving it all away, right? I'm giving it all away. I won't try to sing it because then you guys would be doing this. But we sing that song, but do we really mean it? Do you realize you should be giving it all away? Our leaders that, that you are following should be people that are giving it all away. That means, when it says all, that means more than just time and money. That means they should be giving away their desire. Their desire should be for what Christ wants. They should be, that should, means their focus. Their focus should be on what God wants. They should be giving it all to God because that's what's required when he asks for a build. The Bible says this, and one day King David said to Nathan the prophet, look at this. Here I am, comfortable in a luxurious house of cedar, and the chest of God sets in a plain tent. Look at what he's saying. He's sitting out there on his nice, luxurious porch, drinking iced tea. I don't know if they had iced tea back then, but let's say he's drinking iced tea. He's drinking iced tea, and he's looking at that, and, and instead of going, isn't this a beautiful sight? Isn't this wonderful? His heart pricked, and he looks and says, there's the temple, a tent. The chest of God is sitting in a tent. And he was hurt. His heart hurt because of that. And Nathan, the prophet, says to the king, whatever's on your heart, go and do it, because God is with you. Great thing for the prophet to say, right? If I was, if I was the king, that would encourage me to go. You're right. I'm touched. I'm, my heart's pricked. Let's build God's temple. Whatever's on your heart, go do it. So Nathan said that before he had talked to God. But one of the things that struck me as I studied for this, both God and humans consistently recognized that David's desire to build came from a deep desire in his heart to honor God. That's where it came from. Even David's, David's father, he said, uh, David's uh, son, he said, my father David had it in his heart to build a temple honoring the name of God, the, king, the God of Israel. 1 Kings 8, 17. And though it was clearly in David's heart, it wasn't in God's plan. See, Nathan spoke too soon. Nathan spoke to David before he spoke to God. Because when God spoke, 2 Samuel 7, 3, he said, but that same night the Lord spoke his word to Nathan. Say to my servant David. Not say to the king David. Say to my servant David. The king is his servant. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one who's going to build my house to live in? You know, when he asked that question, sure, David knew who he was. That made him immediately know. He knew who he was. 
You know, we all look at, and I love it when Scripture says, especially after all he, all he went through, David was a man after God's heart. That's a, I hope God says that about me someday. That was a great thing to be said about him. But he also knew himself. He remembered Bathsheba. Uh, if you don't know the story of Bathsheba, I'm not going to spend the time doing it now because we don't have time. Go back and read it. It's a horrible time of David's life. A horrible thing. Matter of fact, you read that story, you might walk away from it going, how in the world could God call him a man after his own heart? It was a horrible situation. I wish I had time to go into it, but read it yourself because it is terrible. In 1 Kings 8, 18 and 19, God told him, it was good that you wanted to build my temple in my honor. Most commendable, but you're not the one to do it. Your son will build it to honor my name. So not only is he not going to get to do it, even though it's in his heart to be the one to do it, even though he's the one that thought of it, not only is he not going to get to do it, his son's going to be the one to do it. Ouch. That must hurt. That must have been something. David could have been somebody that said, looked at that, listened to all that, and gone back and thought about it and said, you know what? If I can't build it, nobody's going to build it. And then fought against it the whole time. He could have been somebody that got angry, got mad, that said, take his ball and go home, as they say. See, you know David, you know that's not him. When tested, David passed with flying colors. He doesn't pout. He doesn't pull the project off the table. Instead, David fully supports the project, the project manager that God has selected. He announces his willingness to the project to bless God and then calls the congregation together to do the same thing. Because in 1 Chronicles 29.1, we read that, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, look at this part, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for God. And then jump on down and look what he says from 10 through 13. This man that could have been angry at God says, David, bless God in full view of the entire congregation. Blessed are you, God of Israel, our Father, from old and forever. To you, O oh God, belong the greatness and the might, the glory, the victory, the majesty, and the splendor. Yes, everything in heaven and on earth, the kingdom is all yours. You raised yourself high and above all. Riches and glory come from you. You're ruler over all. You hold strength and power in the palm of your hand to build up and strengthen all. Here we are, O oh God, our God, giving thanks to you, praising your splendid name. There's no anger. All there is, is praise of the God he serves. He's a godly man. That's why God called him a man after his own heart. If David or the people who heard this prayer believed what he had just prayed, it would be a given that they would be willing to, to build it, and give generously. Which is going to lead us into the next characteristic of a leader that, would, that we should gladly follow. But first I want to talk about something that each week gives us a way to remember God by remembering his son's sacrifice that was required of his son. He gives us the way, we call it the Lord's Supper. We call it that because Jesus had called his apostles together and they got together and they, and they ate dinner and on the eating of the dinner, he looked at the bread 
I don't know what was going through his heart when he said it, but I can imagine. He said, this bread, my body, is going to be sacrificed for you. This wine, my blood, is going to be poured out for you. Anytime you get together to do this, remember me. So he set up a way for us to remember and bring glory to God. I want to ask you today, as, as you get up and partake of the Lord's Supper, and the festivals are set up back, one on each side and one right back here at the back, I want to ask you not only think about Jesus, but today as we're going through it, think about your, I don't, I don't want to call them leaders, I want to think about the people that had an involvement in your life to bring you some of this love from Jesus. Because everybody in here has had that happen. Think about those people. Remember them. Because in remembering them, you are remembering Christ. Because he's who set this all up. Pray with me as we go before the Father for this. Father, thank you for establishing a way for us to remember you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us and provide a pathway back to him. Thank you, Father, for the people you put in, in our lives that we can look to and that will bring us your love and your healing and your grace. Thank you, for, Father for being so kind to us to make this a way that every single week, we, as we're gathered together, that we can remember you. I can only imagine, Father, what the apostles did the first time after the crucifixion, the first time they, they ate dinner, first time John looked at a piece of bread. I can just imagine, Father, what was on his heart and what he was saying. I'm sure he partook of the Lord's Supper in tears. Father, help us to have that kind of feeling toward toward remembering you every single week and not let it just be something that just happens. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Now the second characteristic, the leader that we should be gladly follow, is a leader who sets the pace in personal sacrifice. Have you ever heard the saying, do as I say, not as I do? Doesn't that sound like a good saying? Doesn't that sound like a person that's noble and, and humble? No, it sounds like a hypocrite. That's a terrible saying, folks. Don't, don't ever say that. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever be a part of that. Do as I say, not as I do. That's a hypocrite. We should be, we should be saying, do as I do. Follow the example that I follow. We should be like Paul who says, you watch where I step, step where I step. When you do that, you're following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do, not what I say. Well, in our case, do what I do and what I say. I think would probably be a better way to say it. First Chronicles 29, 2 through 5 says, this is, this is again uh, the king now addressing the people. He says, I've tried to help him as much as I can by providing gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stones in abundance to use in my temple. See, the key to abundant giving in a fellowship is abundant giving in a leadership. If your leaders are giving, you should be giving because it's the example. It's the step they're stepping. And so they should be, don't follow our leadership that won't give. They're not giving it all away. How, how can they call you to give it all away? It goes on, it says, furthermore, I will give my own gold and silver treasures in addition to the materials I provided for the construction to the temple because of my delight in the house of God. These gifts include 110 tons of the finest gold, 260 tons of refined silver, more gold and 
more silver as needed. So here's what I'm starting with. But if you need more, I'm going to give that too. David gives nearly $5 billion in gold by today's account. And over six, over $164 million in silver. In addition to that, he gave wood and stones. And when it says stones, it's not just talking about rocks. It's, it's talking about gems. It's talking about diamonds. It's talking about all kinds of different type stones. Where did David get all that? You ever wonder that? When you're reading all this, where, where did he get all that? If you think back from the time he's writing this and all the wars that he's been involved with and all the blessings God would have given him from that and all the plunder that would have come from those wars, they were all stored there and he had it all and was doing what? Giving it all away. Wasn't keeping it for himself. See, when something's in our hearts, it has a way of showing up in our lives. David's example of sacrifice set the stage for what was going to happen next. The result is that the next level of leaders gave sacrificially, and so did the rest of the community. See, when you shepherd, lead a flock God has given you, you don't lead them as if you're a dictator. You lead them by example. 1 Peter 5, 2. Lastly, I should follow a leader are leaders that are motivated by the grace of God. It's got to be somebody that is that doesn't think, oh, I have to. Oh, I have to go out and be a part of HVZ that was going on in Claremore, which was a fun event. Those of you that missed it, you missed a fun event out in Claremore last week. It was fantastic. Humans versus zombies. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody else, they'll tell you, because it was a fun day. But you can't be somebody that looks at something like that and says, man, that's three days of work. Do I have to go do that? You've got to be somebody that looks at that and goes, oh, I get to go do that. And not just the fun things. When it comes to other things, that's work. You know, maybe the car wash, which is work. Do I have to do that? Do I have to stand out on a corner and hold a sign for a bunch of hours? No, not do you have to. I get to. That's the, kind, that's the kind of leaders you should have or leaders that, that don't look at it as a have to, but they look at it as a get to. Here's one of my wife's favorite verses in all of Scripture, and you'll, you'll understand why when, when we start reading it. It's 1 Chronicles 29, 14 through 17. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave us first. We're here only for a moment. Visitors, strangers, our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build your temple, to honor your holy name, it comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts. There's, there's what's going on, folks. It ain't about what they gave. He's saying what we give is just what you gave us. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know, I've done all this with good motives, and I've watched your people offer their gifts and with willingness and joyously. God chose David because he was that kind of leader. David went through some hard times, yes. David, and he knew them, and he remembered them. But he was still a man after God's own heart. 
And God chose David to be his servant. Well, if you look at Psalm 78, somebody else writes, he chose David to be his servant, took him from the sheep pen. He brought him from tending sheep so that he could lead the flock, the flock of Israel. Psalm 78, 70. This psalm, like I say, was written by someone else. It was written, it was, there's a handful of them in the book of Psalms that's not written by David. It's written by a guy who was the worship leader for David. I think what's pretty cool here is it shows that David knew and talked about where he was from, where he had came from, and what he had done in his life. He was a nobody. Even his dad thought so. Even his dad didn't think he was the one that was called. Maybe his dad thought that way because he was a child of an affair. Some, some scholars think that because of Psalms 51 where it says, In sin, sin did my mother conceive me. But what's cool about it is Paul knew who he was and talked about it. That's why the psalmist knows it to write it. Sounds a lot like, I said Paul, didn't I? Sounds a lot like Paul. Paul said, I am who I am because of God's grace, and the grace he offered me has not been wasted. I've worked harder than all the rest, but I realize it's not me. It's God's grace with me that has made the difference. Anytime you hear a leader talking about everything he's done, if he doesn't qualify it, he doesn't qualify. Immediately turn it and qualify it and say, but it wasn't me. This is Christ working that does this. This is God working that does this. Because I'm really a nobody. See, that's all of us. That's me. That's you. That's everybody here. I don't care what you've done in your life, what you how how grand of a life you may have lived and how many great things you may have done. You may be a multi, multi billionaire. None of it came none of it was yours. You didn't earn a dime of it. Anything good that was done by you was done by our loving God. He used you and he used Paul. This is a great thing that he used Paul. And Paul is thankful for being used. And that's why he's saying it the way he's saying it. I am who I am because of God's grace. And the grace he offered me has not been wasted. But I realize it's not me. It's God's grace that has made the difference. See, grace is the giving of undeserved favor. When I exalt myself, I abuse that favor. I abuse God. Never exalt yourself. Exalt the one who, who's responsible for all of it. He told Timothy the same thing. He said, as for me, and Paul's writing to Timothy, this is an incredible verse. You really ought to highlight that verse in your Bible and think about it on, a, on an occasion, not just because of what it says, but because of what was going on. Paul was about to end his life. Paul was about to, the man he had converted, history says, the man he had just converted was about to chop his head off with an axe. That's what's about to happen when he writes this. A man, he could, can you imagine you being that man? You're a Roman soldier, and you've got to do what the Roman emperors tell you to do. And I'm sure he said to Paul, they're, they're telling me to cut your head off. You know what Paul, I believe Paul probably said? Well, that's what you've got to do. It's all for the glory of God. And look at what he says. Because he says that. For me, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. 
The time of my death is near. I've given it all away. That's Paul. The end result of David's life, an example, was that God was glorified. People sacrificed and his people were blessed, even long after he is gone. So you can't have that kind of building project and blessing unless there is a clear decision to surrender to the will of God, to give it all away. So that's, that's the message this morning to you. Church, are, are, you, are you giving it all away? Or are you looking at it going, yeah, I'm giving it all away. Well, but I need, I need a little bit of my time, me time. And I need a little bit of, of college time. And I need a little bit of work time. And I need a little bit of, if you think that way, when it really gets down to it, you know what time you're going to give God? You're going to show up on Sunday morning, get your checklist, and go home. You're not, you're not giving anything away. He is disgusted by that kind of service. If that's the only reason you show up to church, you shouldn't show up to church because you're not serving him. He looks at you and says, all that stuff that you're holding back, all that stuff that you said, let me take this little time right here for me or this little time here for my job or et cetera. Let me take that time. Everything that you should look at and go, no, that time belongs to God. Now, he'll give you times of rest. He'll give you times of recovery. He'll give you time to play video games. He'll give you all the, all the different kind of things that you want to take back and be yours and go to college. He not only gives you that college time, but he says, go in there and make A's because you're supposed to do what you're doing to bring me glory. You think you're bringing me glory by going there and being a student that's asleep and doesn't pay any attention because you played video games all night last night? No. He's saying, all your time belongs to me and I want you to use it to my glory. So even the fun time that you pulled aside, you said, this is me time. I want you to have that time, and I want you to have fun doing it, and I want you to have a smile on your face so other people go, wow, I want to live like that. That's incredible, but if you take it the other direction and say, no, this is me time, you'll never get the rest you want. It'll never happen. You'll play those video games for eight hours like you shouldn't have done to begin with, and you'll be tired and sick and wish you'd never done it. Or if you played those video games to bring in him glory, it works out differently. Are you giving it away? In your bulletin, there should be a, a uh, communication card. If you're a guest with us today, all that we're asking from you is that if you would, fill out that communication card so that we can know how to pray for you. So we can know if there's anything we can do for you. Uh, we will, during the last song, we will have a collection tray uh, being, bucket being passed around for our members to give. But what we're asking of you is to drop that in there so that we can know, even if you don't put your phone number on it, if you just put on there something that lets us know this is what I need in my life. Because there are, let me tell you, there are prayer warriors here. Every one of those cards gets prayed over, not just by one person, but by a group of people. That Every leader in this church prays over every single person that turns in a, a, a card and everything that's on the request. This is a praying church, I promise you. So we'd ask you to turn that in. Pray with me now as, as we close this out. Father, thank you for Thank you for sending your son who gave it all away. Thank you for the example that was set for us to give it all away. Thank you for asking us to be a people that give it all away so that you can continue to give it back. You tell us in your scriptures that just, just try to outgive him. You can't outgive God. The more we give, the more he gives back. 
And that's such a glorious thing because everything we get to do then is to your glory. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to bring glory and praise and honor to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.